all this morning, and uh, good to be in the Lord's house as we worship Him together. Appreciate the um, music this morning and the song and the, the new song that we were able to learn. What a blessing um, that song was. What a message that that song has for us um, to to live by, to impact our, our our daily lives and how we how we look at life. Um, if you were here with us last week, we began a, a short series. Um, probably will maybe last this week and next, um, about faith and what does faith look like. And we see here in this passage of Scripture in Romans 4, the uh, faith of Abraham is laid down as a foundation for um, kind of uh, an expression of the, of the father of faith, as he's called in Galatians. And, and all people who are in the faith are considered to be Abraham's children in, in a spiritual way. Uh, not necessarily Jewish, as Abraham was the father of the Jewish people, but in a spiritual sense, all of us who are people of faith are considered to be children of Abraham and therefore heirs of the promise that God made to Abraham in in Genesis chapter number 12, that through him all of the uh, nations of the earth would be blessed. It's also interesting in our passage of scripture here, it says that he would be made the father of many nations, uh, not just one nation, uh, not just the Jewish people that Abraham would be the father of, but, but he would have people, uh, or really uh, his offspring, Jesus Christ, many ge- generations later through Isaac, would be the, the savior of all people who believe and trust and, and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that's what we seek to understand, and that's what we seek to comprehend. It's very clear in this passage of Scripture, as well as in Hebrews 11, which is another kind of corresponding passage of Scripture about faith, it's very clear that faith is not just a simple mental uh, assent to certain facts, um, uh, information that you receive, and you say, I believe that information to be true. I believe that Jesus Christ was truly a historical person, that he was the Son of God. I believe that God is in the heavens and he created all things um, all of these things can be mental sense, things that we mentally affirm, perhaps even in our culture that we grew up in, they are even wise things to think. I mean, you might have grown up in a Christian culture where it is wise, where it is, where it is smart and intellectual. And we would call somebody who doesn't believe in creation, um, they would be considered foolish in some circles. It doesn't make a person a Christian because they believe that creation is true. Uh, We see here in this passage of Scripture that the framework for faith is something that's supernatural. It's something that transforms us and changes us and causes us, causes our life to to be different. He even describes it up in um, the verses that were read. He says um, in verse 13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is... It is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. For if it is to be the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. In verse number 12, which is what I was trying to get to, it says, And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, Circumcision was an outward sign of faith. It was an outward sign of being a Jewish person. They were circumcised on the eighth day, and, they are, and that was an outward sign that they were a Jew. The Bible says that they were circumcised, um, who were not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of faith. 
In other words, circumcision was not the only outward sign, but it was the, the walk, the, the way that they lived their lives. And Abraham journeys to the promised land, which was a, a symbol, was symbolic of his faith in the Lord. We looked last week uh, at several different uh, illustrations that were given, and our first thought was to, just to comprehend faith, to, to understand what faith is. And we know that faith is, is distinct from works. Uh, matter of fact, the scriptures make it very clear that a, a, a strong distinction is made between faith and works. Uh, it's not something that we do. It's not something that we work towards, but it, but it is something that God gives us and it is something that is based upon um, that gifting. Now, Roman, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. If you go back to the first few verses of chapter number four, the Bible says in verse number four, now to the one who works, his wages are not accounted as a gift, but as is his due or what is owed him. And the one who does not works, but believe in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. So there are some who work, and their end will be what they are owed. Okay, And, and we know that what we will all be owed is not good. It's eternal condemnation because none of us can meet the, the requirements of the law. It's impossible for mankind to meet the requirements of the law. And we fall short of that, Romans 3.23. We all fall short of meeting the requirements of the law. And the requirements of the law are simple. We don't need to go through the Ten Commandments to understand them. We understand that the requirements of the law are perfection, that God requires anyone to be in his favor, to be in his presence, to be perfect. And this is impossible for mankind to accomplish. This is why God says that the righteousness that they had did not come as a uh, product of their works, but the righteousness that they received came as a product of their faith. God imputed to them, or he accounted to them, faith as their righteousness. This is a very difficult thing to understand or comprehend because we don't understand it. It's difficult to understand how that God can credit to us or account to us righteousness that is not based upon what we have done, but based upon what we believe, what we trust in. But this is the righteousness that God credits to Abraham. This is, for all intents and purposes, this is grace to Abraham, isn't it? Abraham did not deserve to be righteous. Abraham was a worshiper of false gods. But God said, I will show you, I will give you righteousness. I will make you righteous. And it will not be based upon your works, Abraham, but it will be based upon your faith. Your believing in what God has said. And God told Abraham in Genesis 12 that he was going to make of him a great nation. He told him to pack up his bags and to move to that place and the Bible says that God, that Abraham believed God, and again, back in the first part of chapter number four here, and it was credited to him, it was accounted to him as righteousness or as perfection. But this faith that is being displayed here in this text and in Hebrews 11 is an extraordinary faith. It's not, it's not a simple faith, it's not a... Um, it's not an inactive faith, it's not a faith that doesn't include works, a great theologian said that faith is, faith is in and of itself 
um, does not, oh man, I'm going to mess up the quote, so I'm going to leave the quote alone, <laughs> all right? I don't want to mess the quote up. The idea of it is, and some of you know it, the idea of it is, is that faith is not the result of works, but it does not, it's not absent of works. In other words, faith produces works. When we believe something strongly enough, it will change the way that we function in life. It will change the way that we live life. And, and true faith, authentic faith, what we would call saving faith, is not a faith that's just an assent to certain uh, information, but it is a faith that changes your life. James chapter number two talks about faith that is without works, is dead, it is empty, it is, it is, it is, it is without effect or impact because it is alone. But faith that is accompanied by works or faith that results in works, is, that is what is saving faith. It is so important that we make sure that we don't get the cart in front of the horse when it comes to this theological position. If you believe that faith comes as a result of works, then you believe in works-based salvation. But if you believe that faith, faith, that works come after faith, then you believe in biblical salvation. If you believe that works, that salvation can happen and works not follow, you do not believe in salvation that is biblical. They are connected together. There, there must be an expression, or there will be an expression of God's saving power in the heart of, it, of any individual who truly experiences it. And this faith is an extraordinary thing. We see it all throughout, um, all throughout the Gospels. This amazing, powerful faith. There are two times in the, new, in the Gospels in which Jesus Christ says that he marveled at something. One time is when he marveled at the man who had all of the servants, who had all servants underneath him. He comes to the Lord because one of his servants or one of his sons is sick. And he tells the Lord, don't come into my house because I'm not worthy of you coming into my house. If you will just say the words, my son will be healed. The Bible says that Jesus marveled at this man's faith because he has not seen this type of faith in all of Israel. In other words, amongst this was a Gentile man. In other words, amongst all of God's people, all of those who had experienced the promises of God, who held the word of God in their hands, amongst all of, their peop all of those people, Jesus Christ had never seen the faith that he saw in this Gentile who had none of those things. All of the people who were so familiar with Christianity, so familiar with re religiosity, Jesus says this Gentile man had more faith than all of them. And then there's another time in the scriptures and the gospels where Jesus Christ marvels and it's directly also associated with faith. It's when Jesus goes to his home country and he walks amongst his own people and he says that Jesus Christ was not able to perform many miracles there because of their unbelief. And Jesus marveled at this. Again, a situation where faith was, the lack of faith amongst God's own people caused him to marvel at their unbelief. Faith is an extraordinary thing. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without it, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Without, without a strong, life-changing faith, it is impossible to please God. But the opposite is also true. With a strong, free faith, with a, a bold faith that God has given us, it is very possible to please God. As we live out that faith, as we live a life in connection and, and, and correspondence with what we believe about God, as we live boldly because of what he has done for us and because what he continues to do through us, these things are pleasing to God. These things bring favor to God. They bring a smile to his face to look down and to see his people living lives of boldness and confidence, not because they are great, but because he is great. Not because we have accomplished great things, but because he has accomplished great things. Not because we are righteous, but because he died for the unrighteous. Not because we have done anything to merit, but because he has gifted us with his righteousness. That we live boldly based upon these things. We don't walk in depression or discouragement because we have sinned, but we walk in confidence that Jesus Christ died for our sins. When we have this, when we walk in this, this is, this is pleasing to our heavenly father. This brings a smile to his face. This brings joy to his heart. There is no one who can please God based upon their own merits, but we can all please God by walking a life or living a life that is full of faith. Peter pleased the Lord when he got out of the boat I imagine if Peter, we were, I was talking this week to somebody, I don't remember who it was, but I imagine if Peter would have turned back to the other disciples and says, what do you guys think? I'm getting ready to get out of the boat. I imagine they would have had 500 different reasons why Peter should not get out of the boat, right? But you know what? There was one disciple of 12 in that situation that pleased God, and it was the one who was willing to step out of the boat, it was the one who was willing to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was capable of keeping him on top of the water. David pleased God when all the other Israelites were standing there in fear, hiding behind their, their, hiding behind their camp or whatever they might be, cowering. David runs out towards Goliath and David pleased God. You know why? David didn't please God because he thought he had some special ability. David pleased God because he believed in the God that he served. This is extraordinary faith. Three young men, probably about the age of 17, they pleased God because they walked into the midst of a fiery furnace. They walked into the middle of a furnace that consumed the men that threw them in there. They walked into the midst of it willingly. They pleased God. It wasn't because they had a special suit on that was fire resistant. It was because they had a special God that was in control of the, of the fire just as much as he was in control of the storm when he was sleeping in the middle, in the lower part of the boat. Daniel pleased God when he willingly walked into the lion's den, praying to that God, believing him that he could deliver him. Noah faces the world and preaches an unheard message for 120 years, Noah pleased God because he believed God. The faith that is present in these stories is a supernatural faith. It is a faith that is unheard of by most of the world. Most of the world would look at these actions and call them foolish. 
or at the very least try to understand them human, uh, uh, natu- with some natural uh, purposes or causes. It is important that we understand the faith of these people as well as all of the faith in Hebrews chapter number 11 if we will understand how to live our lives and have the same type of faith. Faith is something that is so, faith is a belief that we so long, so strongly hold to that it drives us to extraordinary actions. It drives us to, humanly speaking, crazy actions. It drives us to impossible actions. It was said by a historical theologian, attempt great things from God and expect great things from God. This is what faith does. This is what faith creates in us. It drives us to extraordinary actions. However, and this is where we begin our sermon this morning, a faith that drives us to extraordinary actions must have an extraordinary object. What is the cause of our faith? What is the foundation of our faith? What is the reason we believe? Why do we trust? Why do we trust in such a way that we believe that God formed the world by the words of his mouth? Why do we believe that? Why do we believe that uh, there was a waters that covered the entire earth and one man and his family were in a big boat called the ark and they were the only ones saved. Why do we believe that? Why do we believe that three men were in a fiery furnace and walked out and didn't even smell like smoke? I mean, we could have probably left it, maybe they didn't die, but they didn't even smell like smoke. Why do we believe that? What is the object of our faith? Because folks, the reality is this morning, if the object of our faith isn't what it, ought, what it should be, if the cause of your faith isn't extraordinarily big, then the expression of your faith will be equally small. The bigger the object of your faith is, the greater the expression of that faith. What is the cause of our faith this morning? What was the cause of David's faith? What was the cause of Daniel's faith? What was the cause of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith? What was the cause of Abraham's faith? What was the cause of Noah's faith? What was the cause of all of the people in Hebrews 11? What was the cause of their faith? What was the cause of Gideon getting 300 men to go up against over 100,000 men? You know, I'm not volunteering for that duty. What was the cause of it? What was the foundation of it? There must be something unique there. I mean, those 300 men must have been the mightiest men in the world, right? Or no? Folks, when we get a hold of this reality, when we get the cause of our faith, the root of our faith right, we get the focus of our faith on the right thing, there is nothing that is impossible for us. There is, let me say that again. There is nothing that is impossible for us. Jesus says that all throughout the Gospels. He talks about being able to move mountains and uproot trees. And he's talking about this faith. And he talks about even that nothing will be impossible for those who have faith. The problem that we have today is that our faith or the object of our faith is small. 
This is why Jesus says on a number of occasions, when Peter's walking on the water and he begins to sink, Jesus says to him, O ye of, yeah, Jesus says to Peter, you stopped looking at the great faith and you started looking at your faith. You started focusing on your abilities. You started looking at the storm. Little faith is not the size or the amount of faith you have, but little faith is the object of your faith. Who is or what is the reason why you do what you do? David said in Samuel 17, verse 29, while he was preparing to face Goliath, he says, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? Is there not a foundation for me or someone to go up against this great giant? And then we see in the next story, David is running after that giant saying, I do not, I come to you, You come to me with sword and spear, right? But I come to you in the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. I come to you in the name of the Lord. That's how we face our struggles, folks. That's how we face our difficulties. That's how we face temptation. That's how we face frustration. That's how we face anger. That's how we face all of these other giants in our lives. We do not come at them with sword and spear. We come at them in the name of the Lord. He is the one who is victorious. He has already won the battle. He is David. And we are allowed to follow in his footsteps. We are allowed to be Christ-like because he lives within us. He is the victorious one. David is not a representation of us. David is a representation of Christ. He is Jesus. He shows us the victorious one, not so that we can put ourselves in David's shoes, but so that we can follow in his footsteps. And it's not his footsteps that we follow in. It is ultimately Christ's footsteps that we follow him in. So let's look this morning at four things about what is the cause of our faith. What is the cause of faith that is supernatural? What is the cause of faith that drives a person to doing things that are humanly impossible? For trying things that are humanly impossible? For believing things that have never been seen before that in some people's minds might seem to be ignorant? The world would want us to believe That trusting in God's word is an ignorant act. But my friends, the reality of it is, is trusting in God's word is the only saving act we can do. We must trust God's word because it is the expression, it is a explanation of who God is. So let's look this morning for a few minutes at four things that are Um, a part of the saving faith. We have to trust these things. Number one is God's provision. In, In other words, faith is a gift from God. Again, we saw earlier that it's not something that it's, it's apart from works. It's separate from works. It's, it's the opposite of works. Some people would want to work for it. They would want to work to have faith. So they work really hard so that they can become full of faith. And ultimately it it ends up being a works-based faith instead of faith-based works. Faith is a gift from God. It is something that he gives us as he gives us his Holy Spirit. Once he gives us his Holy Spirit, we have all things necessary for life 
and godliness. We have all things necessary for pleasing God, not because we have done anything, but because Christ Jesus has gifted us in his spirit all things necessary for pleasing God. The reality of it is, is this, as we walk through life and we live out, we, we allow or we see the spirit of God living through us, that is what pleases God. That is what pleases God. When we work out and act out and live out and do all of those things on our own, that is not what's pleasing to God. But when we let the Holy Spirit live through us, when we remove ourselves so that people see Christ in us, this is ultimately what is pleasing to God. Faith is a gift from God. John chapter number three, it talks about in verse one through eight that we are born again, and when we are born again, we are gifted with this faith. It's, it's always interesting that we look at John 3 and verse 16 that says whoever believes on him, but we often leave out the cause of that belief. The cause of that faith is verse 1 through 8. You must be born again. The Spirit of God must indwell you. He must be in your life in order for you to believe. He must be there. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the Bible says... For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. It is a gift from God. It is something that he gives us as a manifestation of his grace, of his kindness towards us. Philippians chapter number one, in verse 29 the Bible says, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, or it has been gifted to you for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. In other words, there is a gift of believing in the Lord, and there is a gift of suffering for him. These are both gifts. Romans chapter number 12, when it talks about the fruits of, uh, or the, the um, uh, gifts of the Spirit, it talks about that God has distributed to each one a measure of faith. Faith is something that God gives us. It is a gift. He gives us the faith to believe in him for salvation. He grants us as a gift the faith to believe him for daily needs, for difficult situations and circumstances. God grants us this faith on a daily basis. Matthew 6, 34, the Bible says, sufficient unto the day are the evils thereof. God gives us what we need for today to get through this day. You say, Pastor John, why is that? So that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you are dependent on the Lord to give you the faith to make it through that day. And when you wake up the next day, you are dependent on the Lord again to make it through, the next, through that day. Do you know what's really dangerous in the Christian life? It's when we get good enough to make it through the day that we don't have to depend upon the Lord for the faith to make it through. We get really good at making it through in our own strength. And then we live by ability, which makes us do that which is natural, and we live in this safety zone, right? Anybody live there with me? We live in the safety zone and we don't ever pursue anything that is supernatural. We don't ever pursue anything that's beyond us. We don't ever believe God to be victorious through us over things that we've wrestled with our whole lives. 
Why? It's because we found a way to function in our works. And we haven't woken up and said, God, I need faith today to get through this day. And he will grant you as a gift the faith to make it through that day. Faith is not something that you work for. Faith is something that you ask God for. Faith is a prayer. Lord God, please help me today to be able to get through and to be able to live in such a way that brings a smile to your face because I live not dependent on my own strength but dependent upon the strength of the Spirit of God living inside of me. Listen, folks, is there anything impossible for the Spirit of God? When people tell me, Pastor John, I just can't, I just want to ask them, can God? Can God? Because he lives inside of you. And there's nothing impossible for him. We've become comfortable with living under the bondage of our own strength instead of living in the light of God's strength and his gifting. Luke 11 verse 13 says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, father, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We need the strength of the Lord for salvation. We need the strength of the Lord for daily living. We need his power in our life. We need him to take control. We need to walk with him and live in the, under the essence of his glory. 1 John 5 and 12, the Bible says, whoever has the son hath life. Whoever has the son, John 10 and verse 10, has abundant life has victorious life. It's not about being great yourself. It's about having the one who is great. He who has the great one. He who has the victorious one. He who has the perfect one. He who has the righteous one. He it is that has life. Oh, the glory of God that we should, should revel in, that he is in us. And therefore, nothing is impossible for us. This faith that he gifts to us brings us into a loving relationship with God that drives us into action. Remember this, the faith that God grants us at the new birth drives us to loving God, not necessarily to submitting to a list of rules and regulations. You see, loving God is the result of faith and that love for God is what drives us to submit to his will. It is not law or rules that drive extraordinary action. Write that down. It is not laws or rules that drive us to accomplish extraordinary things. It is love that causes us to, to accomplish extraordinary things. It's been said of people, even in their natural state, that if they, are, if they see somebody that they love greatly hurting, that they are able to do supernatural things to bring deliverance to that person whom they love. It is a love for God. It is a love and an understanding of who God is that will drive you this morning to, a, to attempting great things so that his glory might be manifested to the world around us. The love for God is what drives us to extraordinary things.
Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46, the Bible talks about the treasure that is found in the field and that you go and you sell all things that you might have that treasure. And that treasure is Christ. Everything pales in comparison to Christ. As you fall in love with Christ, you will fall out of love with other things. As you fall in love with Christ, you will fall out of love with other things. This is natural, a result of having God's presence in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says the love of Christ compels us, it constrains us, it pushes us. The gift of faith, it is something that we receive from God, not something that we work to earn from him. It is a gift that only he can give and that when he gives it, it will be 100% based upon grace and mercy and nothing else. It will never be based, you will never go to God and say, God, I did this and therefore you must give me faith. It will never be that way. It must be based upon grace. He says that in our, back in our text, he says it very clearly in Romans 4. He says, um, in verse number 18, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise might rest upon grace and not works. God's provision, number one. Number two, God's promises. Faith rests upon the promises of God. Promises of God cause faith. When Abraham, when God went to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm gonna make of you a great nation, Abraham believed that promise. That promise caused Abraham's faith and he then began to journey to the promised land. God promised Noah deliverance from the flood. God promised Nehemiah strength. God promised David a kingdom. God promised Paul protection. God promised purity for all of those who trust in his son or perfection. God hath made all of these promises and as we trust these promises, it pushes us or guides us into extraordinary action. Honestly, our faith must be built on a promise from God. And God's promises are delivered to us from his word. In no other way. We, we hear God's voice through his word. Go to his word, find out what the promises are. And watch him unfold his promises in your life. Romans 10 and verse 13, the Bible says, By faith, but faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Listen to some of the promises of Scripture. Some of the promises that maybe you cling to today, maybe you don't cling to, but maybe you should. Some of these things that if you embrace, you'll be able to, you'll be able to do some things for the Lord that'll be pleasing to him. You'll be able to live a life of faith. Isaiah 43, verse two, the Bible says, when you pass through the waters, when you go through difficulty and trials, when you go through hardship, he says, I will be with you. What a wonderful promise that is. Psalm 37 and verse five, commit thy way to the Lord or commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. That's a promise. Commit your way to the Lord. Put your way in his hands. Put your life, your situation, your circumstance in the Lord's hands and he will act. And we need him to act. 
Romans 8 and verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. This is a promise of coming glory. The Bible says if we suffer with Christ, we will also reign with him. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. This is a promise. He cares for us. Hebrews 13 and verse 5, the end of the verse, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 40 verse 10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is a promise from our God. This is what drives us to extraordinary things. Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to those who Love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And 1 Corinthians 10.13, there is now therefore no temptation that has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. And God will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That is a promise from God. You see, as we look at the promises of God, as we embrace the promises of God, it drives us to those things that are supernatural. It drives us to doing and believing and trusting and changing according to his glory. Number three is God's power. God's provision, God's promises, and then God's power. It's not just the promises of God that cause us to to seek and do those things that are supernatural, but it is the power of God in order that he might accomplish the things that he promises for us that will happen through us. It is his power and strength and his ability to accomplish those things, not our own. The fulfillment of the promises of God are not dependent upon us. They are dependent upon his, himself, his own strength and his own ability. All of the miracles that are are filling the gospel are meant to draw us to a place of faith. They're meant to bring us to a place where we trust him and his ability to do what he promises he can do. Not always in a physical sense does he heal the lame, but he heals the lame spiritually in this life and he will heal the lame physically in the next life. Not, only, not always does God heal the physically blind, but he heals the spiritually blind in this life and he will heal the the physically blind in the next life. Ultimately, the miracles mentioned in the gospels are meant to, to display to us the significant ability of our God so that there is nothing too big for him. There is nothing impossible for him. From the, from the, healing of the blind eyes to the awakening of the dumb lips to the erasing from the dead. These are all signs to us. These are all significant acts to say to us that I am able to do what I have promised you. Matter of fact, he raises a young man from, a, from, a, from being lame, laying on his bed, and they say, he says to the people around him as they question him, he says, your sins are forgiven you, and, and they all question him. He says, is it easier to say your sins be forgiven you or to say, rise up and walk? So he says, rise up and walk. In other words, I have the power to raise somebody from the sickness or illness, which is a display of my power to raise somebody from sin, to deliver them. 
All of the stories in the New Testament are meant to show us the power of Christ, the ability of Christ. Why? So that when you wake up in the morning, you can trust that he's enough. That's why. Luke 1.37, the Bible says, nothing is impossible for God. Romans 4.21, as Abraham is, is continuing to try to have children based upon God's promise, here's what he says. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Are we convinced today that God is able to do what he promises? Luke 18, 27, but he said, what is impossible for man is possible for God. There is nothing impossible for God. The last thing this morning, we have God's provision. We have God's, um, forgot, God's promises, thank you, God's power, and lastly, God's perfection. The fourth cause of our faith is simply this, that we understand and know his character. We know what he's capable of doing, but we also know that he is faithful to accomplishing it through us. He's faithful to doing what he promises us, promises. You know, sometimes the perfection of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God causes us to be a little bit afraid, right? We like to talk about the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, and that makes sense because we like to live underneath that. Can I submit to you that the holiness of God, the righteousness of God is also very, very significant to our salvation? Amen. The fact that he keeps us saved and never goes back on his word is related to his holiness and his righteousness? The fact that he can never lie, that he can never do anything evil, those are related to his character of holiness and righteousness. The fourth reason that we can embrace and live a bold life filled with faith is that we understand his character. We know God's heart. My prayer has been just recently, God, help me to have your heart. Help me to know your heart. Help me to treasure your heart. Help me to know what your desires are so that I can live a life that is full of of faith and trust in you. Titus 1 and verse 2 says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the ages begin. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 1.12, which is why I suffer as I do, for I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard unto that day that which he has entrusted to me. In Philippians 1 and verse 6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who hath began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is knowing him. As we grow to know him, we grow in faith, we are able to see, not to do, but we were able to see him do supernatural things in our hearts and our lives that only he can do. We'll see victories in areas that we've never seen victories before. We'll see boldness in areas that we've often been confounded by timidity. We'll see confidence in areas that we never had confidence before. Why? It's not because you are great, my friend. It is because you are seeing the power of Christ in you. That is living by faith. 
So this morning I close with this simple thought. What is the cause of your faith? What is the foundation of your faith? What is the root of your faith? The greater you understand the root and the cause of your faith, the greater the expression of your faith will be. And the smaller the cause of your faith, the root of your faith, the smaller the expression of that faith will be. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us hope, for giving us a future, for blessing us and each, each and every one of us in a special way. We pray, Lord God, that you will be with us this morning, that the truths of your word will not fall on deaf ears, Lord, but you'll take them and you will accomplish the work that you wish to accomplish. Please be with us this morning as we go home and throughout this week. Help us to live a life of reliance, dependence, and faith that is uh, extraordinary. And Lord God, may people look in the, at our lives and see you. Um, that is our goal. And may you look down and see and smile. For we have brought pleasure to you. We have pleased you. Please take us home today with your grace and your faith.